Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. It's August 25th. 1958, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Japan didn't become Asia's economic miracle in the aftermath of World War II by chance. Rather, Japanese people famously studied harder, worked longer hours, and had fewer days off per year than the rest of us. But something had to sustain all of these overworked, underslept, and generally frazzled worker drones. And as of the late 50s, that something was instant noodles, which were first marketed today in history in 1958, becoming a, well, near-instant success story. Yeah, and fittingly for a staple of both the Japanese and Chinese sections in the supermarket, their inventor, Momofuku Ando, was born Go Pek Hog in Taiwan to an ethnically Chinese family. At the time, the island was a colony of Japan. And after being raised in Tainan, Taiwan, by his grandparents who owned a fabric shop, he moved to Osaka in Japan to start his own textiles business as well as attend university. Right from the beginning, he was a total renaissance man, entrepreneur. He tried his hand as a salt importer, magic lantern salesman, builder of prefab houses. He also ran a school and most impressive of all, managed to live in Japan during World War II while avoiding military service. He'd also presided over a credit association which had gone bust and he tried to launch a scholarship scheme for poor students which landed him in jail for tax evasion. So he had a very colourful pre-noodle career. <laughs> but the the moment, I mean, there's always, isn't there, when someone creates something this uh, resonant, there's always a moment that is then fossilised and you wonder whether really that was the moment that the inspiration struck him. <laughs> but uh, the story goes that he was on his way home one day and saw queues of Japanese waiting for ramen in the street. It is the comfort food of Japan. Um, hungry workers at the end of a long day standing in the cold as steam emanates from a kitchen and they're waiting for their noodles to be cooked. And he thought, basically, if I find a way to make this quicker for people, that will be the most successful product in the history of Japanese food. Yeah, and the other side of his thinking was that Japan, after the war, was still suffering from a shortage of food and the Ministry of Health tried to encourage people to eat bread that was made from wheat flour that was being supplied by the United States. And Ando just couldn't work out why bread was recommended instead of noodles, which were much more familiar to Japanese people. Yeah, because there's no tradition of bread, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the ministry tended to respond that noodle company were too small and unstable to satisfy supply needs. So Ando kind of took it on himself to develop a product that could fill that gap. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the reasons that bread was being pushed was the very reasons that noodles were not so convenient in their fresh form, which is that bread is something that you can take home and eat. If It doesn't matter if you don't have a kitchen, if you don't have electricity, if you don't really have anything to put on it. As long as you've got something to put in between a couple of slices of bread, you can have that anywhere. Whereas in the pre-instant noodle era, noodles were always sold and cooked fresh. That meant that noodle makers needed reliable access to equipment and ingredients every day to produce them, and that families needed kitchens, ingredients, and time 
time to cook and season them, neither of which was a guarantee in the years of deprivation following the war. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how uh, scarce food was in Britain after the war and how surprisingly long it took rationing to end here. I mean, here we are in the 1950s in Japan. They're relying on US aid. Many families are eating thin, watery vegetable soups day in, day Mm. out. Some of them were resorting to eating things like acorns and orange peel, stuff you'd normally feed to animals. Yeah, that's right. But the solution didn't come to him immediately. You know, as Rebecca was saying, he had lots of different careers before he even got to the business of making food product. And he was actually 48 years old when he was doing all the trial and error and experimentation that led to him perfecting this flash frying method. And then on this day, as we say, marketing the first package of pre-cooked instant noodles. The original chicken flavour is called chicken ramen and they were selling as a luxury product. Yeah, because although Ando always said that the idea was inspired by that post-war poverty and deprivation he had seen around him, the product which actually made it to shelves in 1958 was targeting a more aspirational Japan. You know, rehydrated instant food, I think it seems, it has this kind of sad, lazy connotation now. But at the time, it had this space-agey vibe. Mm. And actually... The burgeoning TV market was instrumental in the early years on selling the public on this, you know, kind of radical twist on an ancient food staple. Those eye-catching ads promoted the product to a public that was keen for progress and modernity and new technology. So although it was a food of convenience and would later go on to be, you know, the ultimate cheap food of convenience, originally it was seen as something that Japan could be proud of. It's both things, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what's so clever about it. It's exactly the right product at the right time with regard to the whole nation being hungry and having excess American wheat flour. But it is also, as you say, exactly at a time that Japan is ripe for consumerism. Well, just to go back for a minute to that original product, chicken noodles, it was developed in his garden shed. His house was actually the only asset he'd retained after the bankruptcy of that credit union that you alluded to earlier, Ollie. He really did have nothing. This was the perfect time for him to discover his vocation. So he'd started experimenting with drying cooked noodles, which he did by flavouring them with chicken soup. He would cook them, then sort of dribble chicken soup over them, along with a big dose of our old friend, MSG. You know, retrospectors listen no, that is not a bad thing, then frying them in oil to form a brittle brick. And this flash frying method is still the preferred way of making them in Asia. Air drying is more common in the West. They were sold as a brick, which would then be turned out into a bowl and covered with boiled water. And he chose specifically to use ramen noodles, which are Chinese. They were introduced to Japan in the late 19th century, rather than the thicker traditional Japanese soba or udon noodles. Although if you look around the Asian section of the supermarket, you'll see those barriers have now been conquered. You can get instant noodles of any variety. And with one eye or Already on that international market, he decided on chicken as the flavour because it's one of the most universally familiar meats around the world and it has far fewer cultural or religious taboos than pork or beef. Current offerings, though, are far more diverse. If you look at the Nissan Noodles website now, you can now get (laughs) Mongolian beef, sesame, shrimps and Thai green curry, among other things. But on this day, you would only get chicken. But that willingness to embrace different local preferences is one of the things that meant that uh, noodles really became the world's convenience food. Um, In Mexico, lime and salsa flavour. In Pakistan, pizza flavour apparently is particularly popular. But always cheap these days, Um, to the extent that even in Japan, its homeland, it is known as student cuisine, if you directly translate what they call it. In Lithuania, they call it homeless cuisine. (laughs) But... That low price and hardiness does mean, of course, that you can prepare it almost anywhere. It's a great product to chuck over a town when there's been a flood or an earthquake or something because all you need is hot water. 
Well, it's funny you mention emergency, actually, because one of the other things that propelled the cup noodle to its international position of dominance was that in 1972, there was this hostage standoff in Nagano Prefecture in Japan, the Asuma Sanso hostage crisis. And this widespread coverage of the event showed repeated images of the riot police <laughs> eating noodles, I guess because they could do it quickly and easily on the go. And sales figures showed showed that this is what really boosted the brand internationally. Yeah, and you mentioned being able to prepare them on the go. Instant noodles are the cheapest items on sale in the commissary at most US prisons. And in a lot of prisons, they have replaced cigarettes as currency, particularly with falling smoking rates making cigarettes less valuable to fewer prisoners. Now you can trade things in instant noodles. But nonetheless, I mean, despite those associations, there are plenty of negative associations with instant noodles these days. They do remain very close to the heart of most Japanese. In fact, in a poll from the year 2000, Japanese respondents named instant noodles the best Japanese invention of the 20th century, <laughs> beating karaoke into second place. And if you visit the Instant Noodle Museum in Yokohama, you will see a cardboard cutout of Ando flanked by figures from history like Marie Curie, Einstein and Beethoven. <laughs> I mean, there is a backlash these days, I think it is worth saying, not just as you're suggesting because people think, oh, it's cheap and unhealthy, but also they are made with palm oil. I mean, that was the breakthrough, wasn't it, when he was experimenting in his shed and spraying it with chicken soup. He realised that if he used tempura oil that his wife had been using in the kitchen, that would add a satisfying sheen to the noodles when they were reconstituted. But obviously that contributes now to deforestation. Plus, the packaging is plastic. I mean, universally around the world, that's what mm. dried noodles come in, not to mention they are of limited nutritional value. Probably quite good if you're in prison and you just want to eat something else because what the canteen is providing is not enough to fill you up. But high levels of salt and fat. Well, they didn't do Ando any harm. He reportedly ate chicken ramen every day up to his death in 2007 from heart failure, but he was old. You would say that, wouldn't you? That's the thing that you would have as your story for your longevity. By the way, if you're disappointed that one of the uh, numerous, actually, uh, instant ramen museums uh, only had a cardboard statue of Ando, well, head to Osaka Prefecture, where in 2008, uh, at an international ramen summit, I can't imagine quite how international that summit is. They put up a bronze statue of Ando and it's as wonderful as you might expect. It's got him standing atop a base that resembles a noodle container while holding a noodle cup container in his right hand. You sort of think they missed a trick. They could have had kind of mini statues all the way down of him <laughs> within the one in his hand. <laughs> they should have had a styrofoam statue that you peel the lid off and pour boiling water into to make it come yeah, alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.